Hi and hello, watch fans, and welcome to another edition of Fratello on Air. Today we are hosting the show in Dresden from my cozy little office, and I'm on the line with Alon Ben Joseph from Ace Jewelers in Amsterdam. Hello, Alon. How are you? Hi, good, good to hear you, Rob. It's great to be on the show. Thank you so much for the honor. I'm very excited to do this. Yeah, me too. And I'm glad that we finally managed to connect. We had a, a few connection problems for the first time trying to mix together 4G with German internet provision, which is never the best, but we are connected and good to go. And we have a few things to discuss today. Um, about a week ago, was it, or two weeks now, we, uh, we hooked up for the ACE list uh, that you hosted, very kindly invited me to take part in. And we touched on a great many things that interest us both in the watch industry, but we ran out of time, predictably, to talk about the global trends that we are seeing emerging in watchmaking this year. So I'll let you kick off, Alon. What have you seen this year that you think defines the season? So I think there was obviously a lot of uncertainty. And besides the dramatic downfall of Basel World, um, it was dramatic, yes. Uh, the rebranded SIHH into Watches and Wonders obviously never took place physically. Um, I do think they made a nice pivot by uh, doing it online. Um, so they turned around very quickly. Basel was obviously super dramatic. So those were things that really made me sad because I, I love Basel World and I do think there is a future for them. Although I do second guess their new name. It's called Our Universe. I, I don't even know. It's something. Yeah, it's a wordplay yeah. on our and our with the age and without the age. Um, so I'm not happy about the new name, but I, I truly hope that they will refine themselves, recalibrate and uh, rise from the ashes like a phoenix. Brands not presenting watches, then suddenly did present watches, which I'm happy about. This summer, we did see the Geneva Watch Day. So kudos to those brands that try to make something happen. It's always to have something Better to have something instead of nothing, in my humble opinion. I think that Geneva Watch Days itself uh, turned out to be a really, really great addition to the calendar to pick up the slack from um, both Baselworld and the rebranded or remodeled SAHH. Yeah. Uh, and the knock-on effect, of course, of all these cancellations on the trends in watchmaking, in, in my mind, certainly starts with the, I'd say, increased conservatism uh, of a lot of... Uh, entry-level and mid-level luxury brands. Uh, I think consumers seem to be more and more cautious, which is understandable in uncertain times. And I think that's had a big effect on this slight reversion to classicism and maybe a lack of risk-taking in new releases this year. Yeah. How do you feel? Do you think that's true? I mean, you, you get to see it from the inside out. So what do you reckon? So I think we see duality uh, from the brands. There, in times of a crisis, you can break with the mold and think out of the box. For example, which two brands that I want that pop to mind are Bulgari pushing the envelope, both on design with the Octo and innovation technology-wise with their sixth world record. At least now then, I think it's pushing the envelope. Um, I do like the Blast. 
And I'm yeah, so do I. I really do like it. It's it's phenomenal on the wrist. The state the settings are just remarkable. Yeah, remarkable. it's forty five millimeters, so it's a big case. But I love the the fractured design. It's 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 contemporary. Uh, movement wise, it's an amazing skeletonized tourbillon uh, automatic, which is the first with them with a micro rotor. But the other side of the duality is Rolex, obviously keeps doing what they do best evolution of an icon with the submariner but which is fun they brought back the colors from let's say the 70s in the day just which is fun and obviously this was in the pipeline and first they announced not to launch new models and they decided to do and i'm happy they did do you so, think that was always the plan do you think they knew they were going to drop this stuff uh, towards the end of the year or no, was it a, I, I, a I really, I, I really believe they pulled the plug on the launches, and okay. then recalibrated in the summer, mm-hmm. and then ventured out to do. I believe it was September first, right? The launch. Was it that long ago already? Yeah, I guess, I guess I it was. So. That's uh, time has I raced. Think it was by. anticipated. Um, talking about the other um, evolution of classic watches and the the, the epiphany of Hotelogerie uh, Patek Philippe did what they do best as well, just evolve, do their thing. So that's on the the other side of the duality of classicism. Looking Mm -hmm. at innovation, I think yesterday MBNF dropped a nice EXO model, rubber strap for them. That was really cool, yeah. I mean, the um, Legacy Machine Perpetual was always my favorite thing that the brand had done. And then to see it in those new colors with uh, new materials on the the straps especially was pretty nice yeah and 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 new urwerk amazing so you see that there is continuity and uh, in in what these brands do best so those that are contemporary and pushing the envelope they keep on pushing um now racking my brain where a brand crossed over to the other side from the dark to the white or the white to the dark side um i'm racking my brain if if can you come up with a brand who who broke the mold well, no, I, I really, I don't have any uh, ideas on the top of my head of brands that have taken that uh, turn against the grain. And I think that's really what I'm driving at when it comes to this conservatism. I feel like, yeah, you have your risk takers who are known for taking risks so much to the point that they're not really risks anymore, like MB&F and like Overk, that it's just expected of them. That is their brand ideology. That's their entire, entire uh, bag. But then you have conservative brands um standard conservative brands like hamilton for example just just remaining exactly within their wheelhouse and doing a pretty good job of it i have to say that's one they are one of the brands uh that's um, impressed me most in the last in the last few months which uh, yeah i agree and something that i kind of was impressed about which i saw actually for the first on fratello yesterday was the launch of oris's new caliber yeah, that is cool. That and, is really cool. And that that's amazing. It's an amazing brand and they've been doing well for over a decade plus in my humble opinion. And I think that's also daring that in these times they did continue what was in their pipeline, which is a huge investment on their side to develop such a caliber because I think it's five days power reserve, automatic yep. manufacture. So I had a quick peek last night. And I think that also shows guts what they do. 
Um, well, I think they, they, I mean, it does certainly, you can spin it that way without a doubt, but perhaps they didn't really have much of a choice. I mean, they must have been working on that movement for a couple of years at least. And, uh, you know, they need a return on that investment. Like you say, it's a massive, massive financial outlay. Yeah. And they need to get it rolling. And the, this, uh, it's going to debut in a watch, um, in the next couple of weeks, right? I think yeah. it's the 29th, maybe slated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we can't say what it is yet, but it's going to be nice. And it's a cool movement. And did you see the bear in yeah. the movement? Did you see yeah. it? Yeah, that's cool. I, I heard about this maybe a week or two ago. I said, oh, there's a bear in the movement. It's going to be based on a bear. And stupidly, I envisaged a, a kind of cartoon bear, like embossed yeah. on the movement. Yeah. Like, Honestly, like I, the Polo Ralph Lauren watch. Right, right, right. And, you know, Oris have been quite, um, I don't know, adventurous, shall we say, or um, self-effacing with their comedic cartoon case backs, especially yeah. on the bronze Holstein edition, for example, yeah, it was yeah. just a teddy bear. And so uh, it wasn't beyond the scope of imagination, in my opinion, that they might actually come out with a movement engraved with a teddy bear or debossed or embossed or whatever. Uh, so when it dropped and I saw it in its entirety, I was glad that they hadn't um, gone for that route. And it, it took somebody else to actually outline the bear whose ears you can see I guess, what are they, ratchet wheels sitting on top of the twin barrels? Yeah. yeah. And, and he's got his little smiley face and the rotor. And it's cute. It's subtle. Uh, it's uh, it's certainly not as distracting as I was expecting. No, it's funny. It's with a wink. It's done with a yeah. little wink. And, uh, it's done well. It's done really, really well. Yeah. Like um, it On paper, it couldn't have sounded anything but awful, I don't think. But in practice, it actually turned out pretty cool. That's uh, cool. And it adds a bit of joy to, to watchmaking, not to take yourself too serious. Yeah, it's, fun. it's a funny one, isn't it? Because some brands um, really can't take a joke at all and um, don't like to be joked about. Yeah. But um, it's nice to see brands who are still selling luxury products, you know, in, in the multi-thousands. Uh, that's what it costs to buy an RS, of course. Having a little bit of fun with it and really perhaps respecting their collectors a little bit more yeah. as, you know, people with senses of humor. Yeah, I agree. Because their slogan real watches for real people. And I don't know if they still use it because we don't currently retail Auras, but I still follow them. I have huge respect and passion for them is they take their slogan very serious. It's a marketing jumbo. And what maybe our listeners don't know is that this bear is their mascot and they do a lot of charity with it. So <laughs> yeah. I think it's he's a funny character. I find him a bit sinister, to be honest. I don't trust him entirely. He's he's too happy all the time. <laughs> he's up to something, in my opinion. But yeah, <laughs> no, I think I think that I I think that's your dark side speaking. I don't see that <laughs> and I don't see that. So maybe I, I don't know. You lost your teddy when you were a kid, or you you watched the <laughs> horror movie. Maybe you know there was there's one picture that still sort of haunts my brain. It was. Um, when I was writing for a blog to watch, Ariel was uh, in in uh, Basel, I think, with this bear. And there's a picture of them together, and they look they look like very happy and very friendly. And it's all what struck me as odd about it was how natural it was that this bear was just allowed to integrate into human society, and how he'd sort of taken on the airs and graces of like a duke, and he was yeah. just sort of marching around Basel world as if he owned a place, and he was fraternizing with the world's most famous journalists as if it were nothing. I think that the bear. In my mind, he, he got too powerful for a mascot, and I feared that power in his hands because uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just think you know what? Let's let's discuss bears. So Omega did bears with the Orbis collection. Oh yeah, you're right. Okay, That's, and I and, and Yco 
um, is a huge fan of Mr. Ralph Lauren and the brand. And they launched a collab with the Rake this week as well, I believe, with the Negroni in his hands, which I found was funny. Um, I found it funny. I found it cool. It's not my type of watch. I found the price very steep. I didn't check what caliber the movement was, but I do think it's awesome that Ralph Lauren honored his one of his biggest fans, Waiko, which is our buddy, uh, mm-hmm. to do this. And especially in these times, not to take yourself so serious. And that's why I think it's cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it's on the one hand, nice to see brands doing that, but perhaps not as surprising as it seems on the surface that they've taken a teddy bear route uh, in this in this case. Teddy bears have got a strange history of, of luxury themselves. I uh, used to work for Bremont yeah. in Henley-on-Thames, and there is a teddy bear shop um, in the center of Henley, which is apparently very famous amongst uh, teddy bear enthusiasts, which I shouldn't, you know, considering we're watch enthusiasts, and that's equally as niche a hobby, I think uh, probably shouldn't say it so sardonically, but these teddy bears were, were super expensive. You know, they were like... hundreds and hundreds of pounds thousands even for slightly slightly larger ones than you might expect and they're all handmade and i i dread to think where the fur or hair came from but some rare mountain goat that had been hunted for 37 days and nights by a specially trained uh, goat herder or something along those lines and these things were works of art in themselves i found by the way rob it's called what vicuna Oh, really? Well, I learn something new every day. King of Kashmir's. Is that what it is? Okay. I don't know okay. if the teddy bears use that, but I think that's the goat you're referring to. It's a Vicuna goat. Interesting. Okay. Well, it could well be. They were something quite special. They were beyond beyond my understanding as a, a you know passing uh, lover of teddy bears, um, which passed when I was a child, mostly. But there you go. Some people love teddy bears, and whenever there's that kind of passion for something, a niche uh, industry will spring up around it to provide the very best example thereof. So when I see teddy bears, although I find it a bit odd on occasion that they're aligned with watches or luxury or X, Y, Z, there is a huge market for them. Although I do think they're terrifying. I think that's okay, I think it's so, just weird. So Rob, I really think we're losing listeners right now. We're going too deep, but <laughs> I think you've created an excellent bridge here for the fact that I have two little kids and they love Teddy. So I'm reconnecting, rekindling with my old childhood memories. And I actually, my favorite cuddle wasn't a Teddy, but it was a Snoopy doll that my oh. great aunt from Brazil brought me as a little kid. Wow. So I was very young. I couldn't read comics yet. And that was my first introduction to Schultz's iconic designs. So therefore... I love speedy watches. I was always obsessed with the race to the moon, obviously with Omega. So that's why I love speedy watches so much. So for me, a Snoopy is amazing because it's a, a, a triangle of, of, of affection and passion. Should we talk a bit about the third Snoopy Omega launched last week, which I think well. you guys also covered by storm i think you guys got some sneak peeks and you showed one of the first wrist shots should we talk about that because i think there are a lot there is a lot of love because we've been overloaded by requests and our waiting list is humongous but there are also a lot of haters out there yeah um firstly what a remarkable segue um from teddy bears right back to relevance um 
thanks for that. I need to get you back on the show as soon as possible. Uh, <laughs> save me from myself. Uh, yeah, 100%. Let's talk about Snoopy. Um, we were lucky to get a sneak peek. Uh, RJ himself saw the watch about a month ago and, uh, he didn't take any pictures. He, he obeyed the request of Omega. So he had to relay to us what we were to expect, um, before we actually saw it in person. Uh, a few of us put orders in directly, um, regardless of cost, which wasn't, of course, confirmed until the day itself. But one thing we noticed, and one thing I would like your opinion on before we talk about the watch itself, yeah. is this understanding amongst some readers, commenters, watch fans, that this watch, because it's not limited, will immediately be available in retailers all over the world at a massive discount. 30% over the counter is what people are quoting. Now, I think that sounds ridiculous, but as a retailer, tell me, is it? Okay, so what we need to get up front, it's not a limited in the sense that Omega is not numbering it number one out of 1,000, number two out of 1,000. Or what you see now, a lot of marketing gimmick is that brands write one of, which I don't really like, but okay. Within Omega, we need to understand they make absolute limited editions, like we just discussed, num X out of Y. Then they have numbered editions, like the first Omega in space, the FOIS. So you know that is going to run out one day or they're going to stop production. Then they launch special editions. The first one that everybody expected to be limited is the Titanium Seamaster 300 Diver on Mesh or NATO. No date. The bond, the new bond. So uh, that, that is very confusing because, and that's what we try to explain consumers, they launched a limited edition like they always do and which is a no time to die that's the one with the gun barrel right on the dial yep yeah yeah stainless steel bit of a gold accent then they dropped this bomb on us of this titanium with a broad arrow on it so not broad oh, arrow yeah. hands it has the broad arrow ref logo on the dial which hasn't been i believe on an omega watch ever since the 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 order by ref mm, yeah in, Not since in the forty-two, I believe. Yep. So that's very special. Um, they linked it to 007 because it only says 007 on the engraved uh, loop holder on the mm-hmm. NATO strap, and it has, I believe, I on the clasp of the Milanese mesh titanium strap bracelet. Now, on the case back, there is no engraving of 007 or James Bond or whatsoever. It 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 is a tribute to the ref issued watches back in the day because every uh, uh, soldier pilot or army employee that got issued a watch it's actually not theirs right so it has mm-hmm. a registration number on it so that is what is engraved on case back so that watch is a special edition that watch has a waiting list as well very long per definition because there's a lot of requests but due to COVID and the lockdowns in switzerland all factories stop producing and then they went back on half speed half capacity three-quarter capacity so there are huge delays now rj explained on the ace list video session i did with him as well he explained the delays on the 321 so that's also that is not even a special edition that's a production model but due mm-hmm. to the fact that it's made in a special atelier in bien that has huge waiting lists and yeah. in combination with huge demand. And RJ posting his wrist shots all the time doesn't help, by the way. <laughs> um, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. So he that knows. production is delayed 
till 2021 for us. So everybody on our waiting list won't even get one in 2020. So Amiga apologized. They said, bear with us. Sorry. Um, a lot going on. The 007, we got some just before COVID broke out. Then obviously production got hit. And then now the latest update is that Omega got back on track, but their subcontractors are lagging on the production of the straps. So those that oh, are on wait list, please be patient. They're coming. Omega is planning to produce them for coming years. Don't freak out. Now the Snoopy, new chapter, new difficulties. There is no official statement how long Omega will produce them. Obviously, it won't be just this year, although it's the 50th anniversary, right, of the Apollo. Yeah, well, we, we definitely assume that it will be at least into next year and probably the year after, but yeah. that, is, that is only an assumption. They could surprise us. It could. It seems it could. There is no official statement. Nobody knows. So don't freak out. They will produce them mo most probably a few years only for the fact that their production is lagging due to COVID, right? The DAO right. is super difficult to make. If you look at the yeah. pictures, they're very detailed. Silver, sterling silver. The case back is amazing, but mm -hmm. it's yeah. difficult to produce. And that explains the steep price because there's a lot of complaints about that, but it's worth every penny. What a lot of people don't understand, it's not the 1864 caliber. It's the 3864 caliber. The bezel is ceramic, so it's not aluminum like the regular piece. So it's not a regular moon watch. And forget about the case back. That's, that's magnificent. The depth in there, the detailing, the materials used, and the dial as well. So yeah, the level, of, uh, the level of quality control that one has to go into to get uh, those case backs passed is remarkable. Exactly. That little tiny module and exactly. all the dust that could pick up underneath for different levels. And what surprises me is that they didn't give the caliber a special designation because, I mean, that's really a caliber modification. Yeah. To some degree, there has to be yeah. has to be something else. It's not just hands on the back of a watch, and it is really really cool. Do you think it's better than just an open case back? I don't think it's the definition of better or not better. I think it's mm -hmm. the storytelling, right? So I think you guys are on the same page as Team Ace and me myself. Whatever consumer that comes in and wants our advice and he's in doubt about a double sapphire or a sexy plexi, talking about the Moonwatch Pro, right? Right, right. Yeah. I still refer to it as the 3570 because I don't have patience to remember that long number, which is 311. Da, 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 da. So I always says, listen, why are you into this watch? Pure design, the storytelling, the combination of both. If you're into the uh, story, go for the, the sexy plexi. If you're into design, I personally love the domed plexi glass. But if you're neurotic and you can't take a little scratch on the glass, definitely go to Sapphire. If you're adamant that you need an open case bag, go for the double Sapphire. So me, myself, I always go for the closed one. I'm a bad seller, but I don't consider myself as a salesperson. I see myself as a watch enthusiast that is honored to help people on their path to buy a watch that suits their lifestyle, their needs, their passion. It has nothing to do about, with my opinion. I always recommend to go for the lower price Sexy Plexi. So it's about storytelling. So for this Snoopy, I'm super happy it's closed. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the most open, closed case pack you're ever going to find in your life, right? I mean, that's uh, something that you really very rarely see. Um, I do quite enjoy it when brands put uh, functional complications on a movement. I remember some 
nice power reserve indicators on a couple of panerais that I lusted after um, a few years back. Um, that's pretty cool. It's a strange one. Some people don't see the point of it, but I quite like the added functionality um, without busying the dial unnecessarily. No, me too, me too. I love it. Power reserves on the case back or or even, I mean, Patek with tourbillons on the back, right? So, sure, sure. Yeah, Ferdinand Berthaud released a beautiful one, uh, another beautiful hidden tourbillon uh, in Geneva Watch Days. Great yeah. stuff, really. Yeah. And this this is something completely different because, you know, the, the impetus here is to take the watch off and to show everybody the, the, uh, the animation on yeah. the back. So to finish up this topic, we have a huge problem. The waiting list is enormous. We always... Treat everyone who contacts us or visits us the way we want to be treated. So we're passionate, we're respectful, I think we're friendly, and we want to have fun. So we're happy when somebody comes in that wants to have fun as well. We always work this way with waiting lists. We have a waiting list that is, if you do a little down payment, that's just a token of goodwill that you're really down for it and you're confirming it. We don't take huge amounts. That secures uh, your position on the waiting list, which is run by us chronologically by date. We don't care how friendly you are, how nice you are, how long we know you. Definitely, we don't care how much you buy from us. If you're a first-time buyer or you're buying 45 years since we exist, we work by date. First come, first serve. Then we have an additional backup waiting list for those that don't want to do a down payment but want to be informed. So that's the backup list. And when both lists are empty, only then a piece will go into the showcase window. That's how we work. Wow. That now, is a with the Snoopy, tendency. the Snoopy will never hit showcases, I think, mm -hmm. because the current quota of watch that I think we're going to get, and we received an indication from Omega, we can't even supply those on the paid waiting list. Wow. So wow. that comment of 30, I don't even understand because I have no idea who gives these discounts and definitely not on Omega. But that's maybe a discussion for another time. So no. So if you're procrastinating because you want to obtain a Snoopy and not at retail, I say don't wait. Call your AD, get yourself on the list, and be happy you don't need to pay above list price. That's yeah, I think this this uh, this idea that simply because it's not limited overlooks the fact that there are not infinite numbers of these watches being produced, nor would that be possible. I mean, when we talk about a limited and people say, uh, oh, you know, a 2000 piece uh, limited is, is, is not limited. There's too many pieces of it. Uh, and then you appreciate, well, actually, that's only like a day or two days production from Omega annually. That is actually quite a limited watch. Like, well, can I jump in, Rob? Yeah. I find it such a non-discussion. Although, no, let me, it's again duality here. With our Ace X Nomos collabs, we try to keep the numbers as low as possible. So on one hand, I agree with this comment about keeping limiteds as low as possible. Now, on topic of Omega, that suddenly models that usually were limited are not limited anymore. So people call Omega sellouts. I totally don't uh -huh. agree. I'm super no. happy that they're doing it. I'm not talking about as an authorized Omega retailer. I'm saying this as a collector. You know why? They can make more collectors happy. And if you're really, truly passionate about a watch or that particular watch, you don't really care if it's limited or not. I mean, it's an additional fun thing, but if you're in love with that watch, you're happy to be able to obtain it because I'm not happy about 
what's going on in the market with these uh, extreme um, surpluses on waiting list models in the second-hand no. market. No, no. So Not that's not either. something that I'm happy about. And I'm talking about as a collector, uh, me, myself. Now, um, what I wanted to say about Omega, so being a sellout, I don't believe it. And and knowing um, Ashleyman, the CEO, and his amazing team, that's not the way they think. They have a long-term strategy. They're, they are watch enthusiasts themselves. What people don't know, but Ashleyman has been almost his full career at Omega. He, he, he has literally red blood running through his veins, but I'm talking about Omega Red. Um, and, and what I wanted to say, Rob, it's a non-discussion. Why are people attacking Omega? I mean, Rolex has never made a limited edition, right? Right, right, so right. Why, so why does anybody complain at Rolex when they buy Rolexes? Those things have a waiting list. So for me, in that sense, it's not a fair uh, criticism. Well, I, I wasn't so much criticizing it personally. No, I, not I, you, not you. I mean, I'm talking about the, the watch fam. Hashtag yeah, watch fam, yeah? yeah. Um, but my point really, what I was driving towards is that even though this watch isn't limited to a specific number or numbered um, or specifically has any uh, production limitations on the movement itself, like the 321 does, it's still a relatively limited object. And, you know, it's not being produced tens of thousands of times at all. It's right. too hard a watch to make. So right. even though it doesn't have any of these official limitations, to think that it will just be readily available is, it, it seemed well, a nonsense before, but you're the, waiting. Yeah, but in the sense of consumers, of buyers, like collectors like us, it was a bit confusing because on the official launch day, Omega themselves, wrote on their own website, available from October 2020. So that was a bit confusing, right? Right, so yeah. In defense of the collecting community, it was a bit confusing, and there isn't no, there isn't clear-cut communication about when, what, who will, de- will receive them. So in defense of the collecting community, it is a bit confusing, uh, also for us as retailers, okay? Because I find it annoying that I can't manage expectations of people buying from us. Yeah, that is tough. telling a consumer who calls us, hey, can I be on the weddings? We say, sure. But I have to tell them, most probably you're not going to get one, but I'm taking your down payment, which is basically an asshole move. And I'm not (laughs) happy to be in that position as a retailer because I don't want to be treated like that. So we say that in the utmost respect on a friendly tone because we want to manage expectations. Yeah, you have to because the reality of a situation is not only will you not be able to walk into a dealer, point at one in the window, get it on your wrist at 30% discount, which like you say is a ridiculous amount of discount to expect for a brand like Omega anyway, and walk out of the store happy, happy, uh, you quite possibly won't actually be able to get one of these before they go out of production because there's only so many they can make. Um, like you say, there's there's all these extraneous things coming in now with production delays and factories being closed and uh, third-party suppliers um, dropping off the edge of the earth, which makes it all the harder. So I... Uh, What I I do want to say, what I do want to say, and this is a tip for all the listeners that I assume are all watch enthusiasts like we are. If you want to obtain one, Omega Omega is very fair. They treat all their ADs like their children. Obviously, their own boutiques are their preferred children, but let's take that out of the equation. They treat us multi-brand ADs equally. They try to spread their love. They're not giving one guy triple the quantity of another guy. So 
if you want to obtain one, go to your local ID because definitely during these times, it's hashtag support your local business, right? But I assume all my colleagues in the world deal with this like we do in a respectful, open communication way of saying, hey, I think I can get one. I can't get one. We're not playing tricks on you with waiting lists. And no, you don't need to buy another product for the same value to obtain this one. All these rubbish moves, I'm really against. So whatever colleague is doing that, shame on you. Call them, see who doesn't have it, and and try to obtain one if you're really passionate about the product. If you're buying it to flip it, not my style, but hey. Yeah, we don't like that. We don't like flippers. Um, And this is a watch that really does deserve to be enjoyed and worn. Yeah, it's enjoyed. It's not a commodity. Guys, have fun. I uh, I enjoy this artisanal work on your wrist. Yeah, well, that's you see now. That's that's where I really do struggle because I ordered one and I I wanted a a Snoopy for years. I I loved the uh, two thousand and was it fifteen one? Yeah, yeah, must have been yeah, two thousand fifteen edition. I thought that was gorgeous. Um, I was devastated to not have a chance of getting one of those on my wrist. Um, Same here, by the way, uh, just so you know. I remember people think that I have first dips on all the limited editions. The irony of life is I'm on waiting lists in our own business for several models, but I always put myself at the bottom of the list um, because I want to respect my customers, right? And I want watches to be seen in the wild. I'm I'm definitely not hoarding them. And all the watches I personally buy, I wear. That is true. I can attest to that. I've seen many, many different ones that you've uh, added yeah. to your collection on your wrist over the years. Um, but neither of us ended up with that um, 2015 model. And had I got had I got my hands on one, I think I definitely would have worn it because I really just loved it on the wrist. I thought it was a really crisp and nice style and I adored yeah. the loom. Yeah. This time around, I think that off the wrist, this watch is absolutely stellar. And I really like the sterling silver dial i look like the material i wear a lot of sterling silver rings as well so it's a nice warm uh slightly off silver color that i I love but this one i'm I'm less inclined to actually wear it to be quite honest and i've never bought a watch that i don't wear i'm i'm not sure i strangely that animated case back for me um kind of turns it into more of like a, a box curiosity that I would get out and look at rather than something that I feel quite so comfortable strapping onto my wrist. And I guess it's completely ridiculous because it kind of is mate. I, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging I'm, I'm, open, I'm opening this box of worms because I'm acknowledging how strange a feeling that I have towards this watch that I sort of, I said, yeah, I'll take one. Even before I'd seen it, I said, I'll take one, whatever it is, if we get the chance to get one. I can't let another one of these Snoopies pass me by. And I was a little bit disappointed it wasn't limited, to be honest, for some reason. I, I don't know if it really makes sense when, I, when I'm when i self-critical of myself, but I thought at the time, oh, you know, that's a bit of a shame that your previous ones were limited and there was such a um, furore around getting, uh, getting them out to customers and this one is going to be on everybody's wrist. Of course now. I appreciate that's completely ridiculous. And I'm very lucky to have my name near the top of a waiting list somewhere in the world. And I'm sure that it will be delivered by the end of the year. But will I wear it? I don't know. I'll have to wait and see how I feel when I get anyway, it. I, might not be able to I trust it. you that in case you don't have that spark when you strap it on your wrist and you're utterly in love, I know you'll find a new home for it. For a collector that will be even more happy, and I know you're not going to rip him 
like most of the flippers do. So no, no harm, no foul there. No, but you see, I don't think I don't think I'll sell it. I have no I have no qualms about owning it and enjoying it. I'm just not sure I will wear it all the time. That's it's a bizarre feeling. As long you know, as you I, don't hoard it to gain capital on it. No, I never do that. This, I, I think it's a really bad philosophy to buy watches for that reason. If you buy them in good faith and you love them and you enjoy them and you wear them, and then you need to sell them to buy another watch or a car or fund a child yeah, or whatever. Fair enough. That's fair. That's enough. okay. And if you make money, great. That's that's lovely. But you know, setting out with that intention is, um, well, it's just it's a bitter way to go about it, and it denies people that have a genuine passion for the craft some yeah. great pieces. I think. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So what I would like to do now is wrap up this episode and get you back on the phone as soon as possible to talk again about some other issues that we have in mind that we'd like to discuss because I always love listening to your thoughts and hearing uh, hearing you touch on global trends and the new Snoopy release has been a pleasure. And uh, I hope you have enjoyed speaking to our listeners and we will get you back on the line right away. So Alan, thanks again and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much for this uh, invitation, this opportunity, Rob. I had fun. Mm-hmm.